Hey everyone, welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is Eric Hatz, the co-founder and co-CEO of Seed Health, a microbial sciences company pioneering applications of bacteria to impact human and environmental health. In collaboration with leading scientists, their decentralized model enables rapid, efficient development of category-defining probiotics from discovery to market for GI health, skin care, oral care, women's health, and infant nutrition. ERA also co-leads Seed Labs, which develops novel applications of bacteria to solve some of the most pressing ecological challenges. Hi. Hi. Thank you for joining me on basically a holiday. <laughs> I'm incredibly excited. I am really excited because last time we spoke was at the conference that we had last year and it was like an entrepreneurship panel and I felt like, you know, it was so short, like maybe 30 minutes, but I had learned so much from you and I, I love how passionate you are about business in general and your company and that you're a biotech company and you guys, you know, it's definitely so different because most probiotic companies or most companies like this would say that they're maybe a wellness company, but you really um, do the work to stand out. You guys do so much research. You invest so much of your time in making sure the products that you're putting out are backed clinically. And I really appreciate that and appreciate the transparency. And I know that there's so much that we can learn from you. I mean, even in the last five minutes talking to you, like before recording, I was like, oh, that's why there are different strands of probiotics. That makes sense. So I'm excited to dive a little deeper in that. But as a serial entrepreneur, I'm curious, like before Seed, I know you started um, another company, you advise other companies. So I want to learn a little bit about that. How did you find yourself in the business world? Uh, You know, I honestly... I never, it's so funny when you hear people talk about your experience and it's like not how you think about it. Like it's, it's different than the way you think about it. It's kind of like, I've always been a storyteller and worked at kind of this intersection of like storytelling, design and and technology. And then the world calls you a marketer. And I'm always like, I'm in marketing. I didn't know I was in marketing. I didn't even like, and I didn't even know I was in business, you know, because I, I actually, truthfully and and hopefully our investors are okay if they're hearing this which is that i i you know i consider myself a creative a creator yeah um i and and i love building things um and i love making things and i i i think um from a business perspective i have always felt that the that the business world or the marketing world needed more of the humans that don't consider themselves of the business world and of the marketing world. And so, um, you know, in a lot of ways I, I ended up here because I, I love creating things, but uh, I also understand how I think part of, I, I've always felt that creating things, it wasn't just making things. It's kind of like how people articulate the difference sometimes between art and design. Yeah. Which is that art is like a personal ex- is an expression of an idea and design is in service of something. And, um, and I I think that I love creating things that I feel part of that creation is how it goes out into the world Mm -hmm. and the impact make how people resonate with it. And I think in a lot of ways, my, my whole life, I've always wondered why 
human health, especially uh, in science, maybe maybe zooming out one level, has really not had an opportunity to live in the world that way. You know, and I think that that starts really young, right? Like where like the kids who were involved, interested in science were like nerds, you know, like it was almost like the anti-social capital. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with the UI and the UX and the language and how mm-hmm. we understand things. It's like, it's why we don't, it's like why in the US it's not sexy to go into civic service or it's not sexy to go into, like, you know, until it really wasn't until recently that politics has become a bit sexy and sexier. um, So I think I've always been like incredibly curious about how things can go out, how how you can make a greater impact by actually applying the thinking that comes from actually not being a marketer or not thinking that you're in business, but then actually using using those superpowers to create really compelling businesses and marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's kind of probably a better way to articulate how I, how I think about it myself but what kind of like storytelling was inspiring I mean like I think when you find yourself in this world or getting into it like there's something that your background is super varied and you're part of so many different organizations it's really impressive and amazing I think at the heart of some of these things like you said some of it's very similar but then when you get deep into these different organizations they're so different and I'm curious like what impact obviously right now like bacteria and its application is the most inspiring to you right like what you know how did you get into that oh sure well we'll be conscious of your time and not tell you my whole life story but i'll give you the i'll give you the the first google result in the trailer (laughs) i'm happy to hear the whole thing my mom got pancreatic cancer when i was 16 and died 361 days after her diagnosis. And that was my first experience understanding and researching actually at that time clinical trials and understanding how science happened for people that were sick. So that was like one of my first, and it was interesting because at the same time that she was involved in clinical trials and actually randomly had worked at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And um, so, you know, I, I think there was a very big like orientation around like the science and the bio, the pharma kind of approach to cancer. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there were like Reiki practitioners walking through our living room every day. And yeah. like, some, some variation of, uh, of vegan shamans and like, you know, and so I, so I think that what I noticed and what I thought was fascinating at that time, and, and I think kind of set off a whole lifetime of, of this that led me to founding seed was that there, the way you know, the way that science kind of shows up in people's life, particularly, I think you find for women, especially, I think, um, and maybe this resonates with you, you kind of find your way to your body two, two, two ways, pathology or pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Or you get knocked up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like pretty, too, it's pretty clear. Like women, you don't really have a reason to understand how your body works, your biology. And so I think since that time, I had always felt that I'm curious why we we so easily deferred the agency of like making decisions for something as important like as our bodies to marketing to the next wellness Instagram ad that comes along to um, you know to 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 people often who even if they are a doctor may not 
be speaking about the, the area of, uh, of that, that they're actually an expert. And, and so I, I was always like, I think that search for both the clinical trials and then just like watching really what happens when truly someone ha- doesn't have health. I think just for me, it was like a, a very long, like lifelong curiosity, skepticism, honestly, like observational experiment in like how we rationalize and like think about our health, our bodies, the choices we make, what informs them with so much energy spent without just picking up like a, a biology book or like a, a you know, and it's so funny because like I watch how long someone will spend like researching which car to buy. Yeah. <laughs> Or like skincare, yeah, and and I mean skin is of course a part of your body, but I mean more kind of more superficially, and and I was just I've always been like really like kind of confounded by that, and so when I started um, in like the tech world and like the startup world, I, I truthfully always knew I'd start something in health um, and science. I, I think since a very early age, I knew I would get there. I had been in and around through family and um, through and my ex-boyfriend around the biotech and pharma world. So like I knew a lot about how like that worked, but I've also been a lifelong yogi and, and, and like for 20 years plus, like been in and around the yoga world. I was an early uh, investor in like MindBody Green and like, and so I, I kind of watched all of that kind of come up. And I think that I'm very grateful that the world certainly has started to move towards a kind of consciousness about their bodies. Mm-hmm. And of course, the more deeper connectivity to our a sense of experience. And I think, you know, that is critical. But I also, you also have to look at the fact that the wellness industry is $4.3 trillion and we're still dying of, of non-communicable diseases at a greater rate yeah. than anything else. And so like I, I and, and, and I have incredible respect for, people who've built great businesses. But at the end of the day, like a lot of this would not exist if we truly understood our biology mm-hmm. and truly yeah. understood how our lives work. And I wonder what kinds of companies would be instead <laughs> developed, not just biotech and pharma and not things that are just going through like therapeutics, you know, regulatory for like therapeutics, but like I do wonder what all of the diet books would look like and what all the nutrition programs would look like and what the supplement aisle would look like if um, we just understood ourselves differently. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, for a long time, you know, Peter Thiel talks a lot about zero to one, which is, you know, like a lot of things are kind of tinkering and very, very, very few times in your life you come across things um that really like zero to one the world, right? Like actually yeah. like tangential jumps and leaps forward. And and the tinkering is important. I mean, right? Like you wouldn't have friends or without Facebook, right? Like it, it's not that the tinkering is not, cannot be meaningful. It certainly can plant a lot of seeds, but I did feel that a lot of wellness felt, fell in the tinkering and that um, I had searched for a long time for what was going to be zero to one. And I had to cut forward. Um, I had a miscarriage and resigned from my previous company, which is a mobile commerce company. I started in New York called Spring. And I, it was just like a very pivotal moment for me um, to decide like what was viable and what I really wanted to do. Because once you know how to build technology companies, you know how to build consumer brands, you know how to raise capital, you know how to um, market, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Uh, you know how to run a business. You know how to create 
impact and partnerships and, and things that kind of ripple out in the world, you really have to then sit down and say, well, well, what do I do with this and how do I want to make an impact? Um, an impact can include waking up every day to something that's fulfilling and meaningful. It doesn't always have to be like, you have to go, I don't think every business should go change the world. I think yeah. actually you can change the world by creating great companies and um, a fulfilled people who are doing things that are meaningful. And so the microbiome was that zero to one for me. Once you understand the microbial world, which by the way, when I would talk about it five years ago, people kind of like, oh yeah, gut health a little, but I think it's 2020 has shown you that one microbe, one microorganism can fundamentally change the world forever. Yeah. So of course I work in the beneficial kind of bacteria, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's incredibly like no, nobody thought about surfaces and their airways and their ACE2 receptors and their lungs and um, hugs <laughs> and school pro no one thought about the microbial world until 2020. I know. We were building these companies in 2016, but most people haven't. And if we did think about it before this, it was through the lens of almost an entire century of antibacterial thinking. Mm -hmm. So the, the antibiotics, antibacterial this, antimicrobial this, cleaning products, Clorox, actually a perception that has really not served us. And so I think for me, once you see microbes in the microbial world and you understand the microbiome, which by the way is like 38 trillion microbes that live in and on you, it's about three to five pounds of your body. Um, for anyone trying to shed those extra pounds, you don't want to shed your microbiome. Um, like it's like seeing the matrix and you can like fundamentally never unsee it. And when you, and then of course I got pregnant very shortly after my miscarriage. And when you're pregnant and you, and that's how our, where our name seed comes from, which is seeding, which is Aww. the process by which first receives their microbes. The majority of which is through the, through the vaginal microbiome, through fecal matter and vaginal microbiome. And then also your skin you know, mother skin. And so that was for me, that was it. It was like, I could work forever in this invisible world and feel not, and, and the craziest thing about microbiome science versus like genomics is like, you know, they sequence the human genome. It's not like you go to, you know, Whole Foods today and buy something for your genome, yeah. but you know, the human microbiome and there's learnings that come out of the microbiome every day in that science that is actionable. And I think that's why it was like so zero to one for me, because you can look at human nutrition, you can look at everything you do, the choices you make, how you take care of your children every day through that lens. And to me, it's like when you can change, like, it's like when you go to the optometrist, you know, when they're like trying all the different mm -hmm. lenses, that's what it felt like to me. And I was like, wow, you could create, not just use the best science and work with leading scientists, but um, you actually could change the lens through which someone sees their body. And I think that to me was like zero to one. This week's episode is sponsored by Odemont, which is tomato spelled backwards. Founded in 2018 when entrepreneur and foodie Andrew Suzuka created a flavorful sauce his picky eater daughter just couldn't get enough of, Odemont is the perfect way to add a nutritious boost to your family's go-to meals. If you've ever tried looking for an organic tomato sauce, you will know just how difficult it is to come by because tomatoes are typically found to have high levels of pesticides and herbicides, which is why I'm so happy to have finally found and able to share with you all a trusted brand that can be purchased in a pinch at your local Whole Foods store. 
It's also available in a fiber-rich and dairy-free vodka sauce. And as always, we love sharing special promotions just for our fullest fam. So for 10% off your order at odomotfoods.com, use code THEFULLEST at checkout. You talked a little bit about um, like how antibacterial world and how that's kind of the lens. I think that's super interesting, especially given this time. So I'm super curious how you view um, the way people are like freaking out. Obviously, rightfully so, there is something going on. If someone has a big health issue, it could be like catabolic, detrimental to um, them. But I'm curious, like, you know, using Clorox and using all these antibacterial things, like how that's affecting your microbiome and how um, seed, if there's any research that you guys have done, like how you could do it differently. Can you use bacteria, use bacteria instead of using something that's killing everything, you know? It's a great question. And there's like so many different ways, like ways to answer it. Yeah. Um, you can start getting into the, like, how long does SARS-CoV-2 like actually survive on plastic versus cotton? You could get into, um, the fact that honestly, like the palms of your hands are actually not like very dense microbially, uh, in terms of other parts of your skin microbiome. So honestly, probably, um, and, and actually when surgeons, surgeons started, uh, washing their hands, um, the, the survival rate in, in medicine, uh, went up like exponentially. Wow. So, so, and that, I mean, that was probably in the late 1800s, I think. Um, oh, so in general. Like, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So like, so, so, you know, like I, 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 it's not a, it's not a, I know it's very easy. It's easier to speak in more kind of binary terms, but like, I think the, the, the way that I think about this and, and certainly can get into a lot of the science, but I think like a, a more like human behavior way to think about this is that I think anything that is creating a tremendous amount of stress, like you need to look at and find a way to do it without crazy stress yeah. because stress in itself is not good for your physiology and it's not good for immune system. And, and by the way, stress is not good for your microbiome. Yeah. The obsession right now, um, I think it's, it's hard, you know, it's, it's interesting because people are living in like two different planets. Like there's people who are obsessed and there's people you can't even get to put a mask on. So the thing that if you ask me what concerns me the most about COVID, it is the <laughs> reflection of our world that we won't, we won't care for one another um, mm-hmm. because we could have we, we could have really mitigated this virus if we could all show up for each other. But that actually is probably like more upsetting to me uh, than anything else. But if you ask me about the stress stuff, I think I think that taking like washing your hands and being very mindful of things is incredibly important. I think sometimes it's okay, and particularly for like very acute things. Sometimes it's okay to be a bit more stringent about these things because the behavior modeling of what it means when you lapse in that, you always, like in my mind, just in this country, I just imagine I multiply everything that I'm doing choice-wise by 331 million. And then you have to decide if you're okay with it. What happens is, is that it's a slippery slope of rationalization so you start off doing something and you're just like, oh, now I've just gotten acclimated and like, I'm going to start not wiping this down and I'm going to start not doing this and I'm going to start not. 
And so it's not that for that individual, I think that like, oh, there's so much more at risk. And by the way, it totally depends on your risk profile. I mean, yeah. I think we understand morbidities at this point. Uh, I think we know that if you work with someone, if you live with someone elderly, someone who's immune compromised, like, I think there's like, um, very mindful, like there, there's nuance to this, right? But at the same time, I think we're seeing that it is the asymptomatic that are the greatest spreaders. And so it, and those are the people that then would probably immediately be more lax in their behavior, which then models for other people who are probably equally not susceptible and probably very highly likely to not be symptomatic, even if they did contract it. And you just like think about all those compounded actions, then they're on Instagram, on their boat, at their party, at their dinner party, being social, quote unquote, social distance, rationalizing that they tested that morning to go to a party, which we know is absolutely fundamentally not true from a scientific perspective and doesn't, even with the best PCR testing, you can be infectious by the afternoon. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the ant, like, I wish I could be the like guest that's like, here's the listicle of what to do. The first yeah. thing is wake up every morning and think care about every other human being on this planet. And that is the first thing. And then if you believe that every decision point that you make from there forward ladders up to that first thing, that is the best skincare routine like I could ever recommend. <laughs> yeah. Wake up and multiply whatever you're going to do, unless you, of course, are a central worker. There's other like, and, and multiply it by 331 million. Forget the rest of the world, just in this country. Mm-hmm. And decide how are, how are you showing up around something that is literally killing people? And how have you rationalized it? And that's okay. Everyone has to, like, in this world, you have to make, there's some aspect of rationalization to everything you do. The question is, are you doing it with awareness? Are you doing it with confirmation bias and conviction? And who are you following and where are you getting your information from? And what are you spreading? And what are you telling other people? I'm more concerned about people's social media hygiene than I am right now about them, like, washing their house with Clorox. Well, I, that's what I was wondering, though, is like, I mean, then I don't know if you can like, obviously, um, you know, I don't want to like put you on the spot or have you say like, this is bad or this is whatever. But like, what does Era use at her house? Like, what do you use? Different things for different surfaces is the honest answer. If it's hand sanitizer, it's at least 68%, six, well, 62% or over ethyl alcohol. It just kills the virus. Um, also, so- soap does a very good job. Um, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the soap doesn't really, I mean, there's many soaps and I only say that because I'm incredibly conscious that like the 99 cent soap at the 99 cent store is probably not going to be any less effective, probably actually maybe even more effective than a lot of the other. So I think there's like soap, uh, the soap piece is pretty important. Um, just based on, based on, based on how lipids work and and breaking down virus, Uh, ethyl alcohol. And in, in some cases we use like pure and in other cases I just buy a good hand sanitizer. And beyond that, um, when, when we're out in the world, uh, so no shoes, that's one thing that, um, I mean, we weren't always a big shoe household, but that is one thing that just an easy thing to mitigate. When we go out uh, for a while and come back, um, depending on where we have been, uh, which is no seen pretty much nobody since March 9th, so it's not very not very exciting. Um, I usually take it like I usually put my son in the shower and take a quick shower, but you know that that's I don't know if that's necessary. Yeah. Um, but it's a more like why not? And I have you know, but I haven't eaten in a restaurant. I haven't I, since March 9th. I have. Wow. 
but, but I'm like, my point is that I have the capability based on how my life is structured to not do that. And others don't have that privilege. And so I exercise my privilege so that others are in less at less risk. And so, um, you know, not to, I mean, again, all of this has so much nuance because there are small business owners that may hear that and say like, yes, and because you're not going out, no one's buying from my shop and I have to clean it. You know, know. it's all so complex. Yeah, I know. And I see, and I, and obviously you do too, as an entrepreneur and you see both sides and you see that it's complicated and you, I mean, I, um, I'm Persian. So I, my family like immigrated here from Iran. Some recently came here and like, they left their wonderful jobs too. And I am like as an Uber driver now, you know, like just they're doing whatever it takes to make ends meet here. And it's, um, humbling to watch my family do that. And it's like, also I, so I just, I totally agree. I see both sides and sometimes I get like super, um, defensive, you know, in that sense, because I, I also like, and this is like another question I wanted to ask you because a lot of times like with, um, immigrants or our, you know, most vulnerable populations and minorities, um, obviously we are seeing, especially with this virus, like they're the ones that are, hit the hardest unless like you're a really person or immunocompromised and um there and it has so much to do with things like gut health and access to preventative care and because our healthcare in this country is just like totally lacking and i'm just curious like how you see the um just how these like studies are gonna like play out in the future and how you see maybe the government like coming you know we're helping people have more access to vaccines like you can go down the street to Rite Aid and get a free one you can get like a free ice cream and a vaccine right like how can we do that with bacteria like that's gonna be a game changer so I'm super curious like um you think about that because like you said there are certain things that like totally um hit the cord with you with this virus and like that's kind of the one thing for me because I'm like well we need to like really understand why this is happening to them and how can we prevent this from happening in the future like yes we're at the place that we're at now but like what about moving forward how can we increase the health you know yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's a huge question that I don't even know has to do with healthcare. Um, I mean, sorry, doesn't only have to do with healthcare. I think that I and my co-founder would laugh if he was on the call because he's like, you will literally bring any conversation back to this one point. <laughs> but you know, look, if twenty twenty has shown us anything, it is not that anything is a fix of passing a bill or we this the fundamental tenets of our systems are broken so if a system is broken you can do a lot of things to uh ameliorate the 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 outcomes of that those systems but until you really start to go into and saying like this has to be rebuilt it is very challenging mm-hmm. With human health, I think that it starts with things like we are the only developed country in the world that has no paid leave for mothers. Like we have no federal support. Of course, companies mandate this, but as you can imagine, the companies that 
have the best policies or self-selecting for the people who are socioeconomically, you know, more educated. And so it starts from the day a child is born in this country. And and by the way, even before that, because of the perinatal care Mm -hmm. uh, and that exists. So like, if you just start from, and you could obviously have to go back many generations to really think about it, but like, if you just start from like the beginning of a life in this country, we fundamentally have it wrong. We want to, and if you put that through the lens, let's say of gut health, we know that if a mother can't be home with a child, that that child's not getting breastfed. We know the role that breast milk, by the way, actually, sorry, take it even back to the hospital. We know that like the, the, the care, even in the hospital, we know that preterm birth uh, is, you know, predisposed to certain uh, populations we and communities that are uh, also lines up with, of course, the communities that need better healthcare in general. Then, which by the way, fun, totally like top side, like crazy fact that preterm birth has never been lower. The rates have never been lower during wow. COVID, which is like very fascinating. Um, but preterm birth, just to be super clear, is a $22 billion burden on the American healthcare system in addition to the fact, of course, of like the tragedy of it, right? Yeah. Then oh, a child comes into this co- world in this country and they're not with, they're potentially most likely not with their mother, at least the children that probably are at the most risk for the things you're talking about. We know, and I'm, I'm only speaking, there are so many factors to this, so I'm only coming through the microbiome perspective, but I say that with like a lot of acknowledgement that there's like a lot of other things that aren't happening. We know that breast milk is fundamentally critical to the development of an infant's healthy microbiome. We know the correlations with the rise of allergies, the rise of type two diabetes, other other like autoimmune conditions. Um, and then just starting to, I think, even understand like the role in metabolism and metabolic. And so, I mean, so many things. So from day one, <laughs> the hospital experience all the way to, or the birthing experience and the prenatal experience, uh, all the way through just that this just think about like systemically we've set up a system that doesn't support the mother to breastfeed. So just start from there because we know the role that I mean a third of the carbohydrates in breast milk are not for even the humans, the infant's human body. They are just food fertilizer for the microbes that are in that infant's gut. Wow. A third of the carbohydrates, not even digestible by the infant, the human part of the infant. There's a breast microbiome. There are microbes that like evolve to live on our breasts and our nipples that help an infant digest lactose just to like show crazy evolution is. And so from the very moment, right, of birth, like you're talking about a a disadvantage. I'm again, there's so many other pieces to that, but um, that, that already to me, and then you start to get into, okay, well, what formula is being used. What what are the nutritional disadvantages? We know that plant fibers are incredibly important to uh, as prebiotics, right? As as um, to helping be- beneficial bacteria uh, proliferate, grow, but also create really important things as a, as a child's um, immune uh, and GI system develops. And so, like I can, and then you could go on and on about the intersectional like. Uh, intersectionality between like environment and racism and like the the role of the environment and and of course being in more urban areas where we know there's like lower microbial diversity. I mean we can go like on you know yeah. honestly on 
go on and on. And, and I think that that, um, you know, a lack of exposure to, to nature and more microbial di- diverse uh, environment, I mean, you know, on, like really on and on. There's, by the way, even research, this is just so crazy, factory workers have, and people who work on any kind of night shifts have huge disruptions to their circadian rhythms and therefore their metabolism and, you know, in, in some cases their gut. And so there's something called, if you've heard of secondhand smoke from smokers, so there's secondhand circadian rhythm <laughs> disruptions, Whoa. which is that the numbers of people who live with people who work at night <gasps> also see impacts that are similar to, because there's a lot of um, navigating around somebody who's working at night and the disruptions of sleep cycle. And so like, that's what I'm saying is like, you, you have to look at so much of this so systemically, right? Like, like um, the, 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 you know, the, the deals that the, which formula company has a deal with the hospitals that has oh a gosh, greater deal. Yeah. You have to like, it's, it's, um, we don't set our systems up correctly. So I would love to say that there's one thing and the things that I'm saying, unfortunately, are so big that it's like, well, I guess you just throw your hands up. Yeah. How do you change it? <laughs> and so um, you change it. You change it. This goes back to the why the tink. What I said earlier that this is why tinkering is so important. Incremental changes can be really impactful. Um, and so uh, you know, and I think, and, and may have to happen at the um, state level or the county level before they get to be federally mm-hmm. mandated. And so there's, there's incremental, like, you know, I know there's like in, in, um, what is it in Sacramento or in Oakland, the mayor that's doing uh, the universal basic income testing, right. And seeing like, what is the, oh, what is, what is the success of just giving people money every month who, who really are having trouble? Um, like what, and, and I'm not suggesting advocating that that's the answer, but just to say that, and actually to bring it back to science and one of the reasons when you asked me why I came to science and what you were asking me even before we got on the call is that we have to have some constructs for experimentation mm-hmm. and we have to have more people who are thinking about hypotheses and how you can experiment and how we can learn together. But you can't do that if the world fundamentally just operates on confirmation bias so if everyone just goes out in the world looking for all the ideas that just support what you want to believe, we're not moving anywhere. And mm-hmm. that's what you've seen hundred percent worse than COVID is the disease of confirmation bias. Meet Onda, the regenerative hemp company that goes way beyond organic. Onda exists for healing the people, empowering farmers and supporting the regeneration of the earth. Onda's nutrient-rich hemp and herbal products not only help you stay healthy and in balance, but support regenerative organic and biodynamic farming practices and a new way of doing business that values the health of our social, cultural, and ecological systems. Try Onda's whole hemp tinctures, capsules, and balms to elevate your flow, soothe your nerves, help you sleep, and alleviate soreness and inflammation. Onda is offering 15% off plus free shipping for the Fullest family. Use code THEFULLEST15 at checkout. Oh my gosh, I want to read what you're reading. Like, how can we get a hold of what is in Era's inbox, all these studies? They're on our Slack channels. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know you guys like share stuff on your Instagram. Like I remember you guys share some studies that are super interesting. I think it's super cool. I love that. 
Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I'm very grateful for. I get to wake up every day with people who um, I get to see the world differently, you know, and 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 hopefully at Seed we we try and serve that up in a way that to share that, you know, and to but not to share it like in a one dimensional way. I think we really like I told you we launched that science class yesterday. Yeah, I know this later, but um, you know, I, I, we really we you know our hypothesis was that with that was. You know, we, we, we launched it with this um, streetwear brand called Come Back as a Flower. And that was fundamentally just the hypothesis of like, could you make learning science as urgent and relevant as a sneaker drop? Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll wait around the corner for a pair of sneakers. Mm-hmm. I know. it's But we won't learn a little bit of science so we can change our life. Tell us more about Seed Lab. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's, seed, seed Labs is where we do um, kind of fellowships and um, work with a lot of innovators r- around the world in different labs, thinking about how you can use bacteria um, to solve some of our biggest problems that are facing, you know, our collective home and, and the environment. And so we work, we have some early work that we haven't announced yet across areas like coral microbiome, fire microbiome. Oh which obviously is especially relevant here in California. Um, but we, our first project was a probiotic for honeybees. Aww. And we created, um, we've, we just published, I think our second or third paper uh, on it with um, Brendan Daisley, who's our PhD um, fellow, seed lab, he was our first seed lab fellow. And it's a probiotic that's administered in the hive that increases the bees' immune resistance to neonicotinoid pesticides. Honeybees have a gut microbiome, and it is very impacted. Um, and and it's not just for the reduction of colony collapse disorder, which I think most people or a lot of people, there's a lot of bee lovers out there, a lot of people yeah. know about that. But but it actually um, reduced the loss of the larvae due to American fulbrood disease, which is actually also incredibly impactful in honeybee communities. Wow, I had no idea about that. I just knew that they would like just all of a sudden yeah die because especially like in california with the almonds and how like we just spray them with so many pesticides and glyphosate and stuff like that so i think that's really interesting so that's really cool so you're just like you guys just like come up with these ideas and just apply them i mean this was one well (laughs) that that doesn't give the right amount of credit yeah yeah incredible PhDs and researchers that we work with from around the world. We are, I would say we come up with and are curious about different areas of microbiome research, i.e. the soil microbiome, the coral microbiome, fish, <laughs> uh, ocean, um, you know, uh, other, other kind of, um, I, we're, we're actually sending microbes up into space next year um, with a big project. Oh in this case, to how they would degrade plastic um, in space because there's going to be a big space trash problem in the future. Um, so, you know, th- those are areas where we, like, have a hypothesis, but we kind of go out looking for collaborators and the people who are doing a lot of that research. Already. Um, and, then we, um, and then we partner with them and, and uh, usually initiate some sort of fellowship or partnership to be able to accelerate the research and or uh, do our own studies like we did with um, our honeybees. That's cool. Wow, the trash thing. I need to look more into that. Um, so what's the future of seed? I know you talk about oral care, skin care, and I'm so curious. I know you have the one product right now 
I, and we were just talking about how probiotics can or bacteria can be applied so that in terms of probiotics, you can have it targeting one specific thing, right? I mean, am I butchering that or is that? I would actually maybe turn it around just to say that I would say that in order to qualify scientifically as a probiotic, it must be a strain of bacteria that has been studied to be alive and, and um, administered in a very specific dose and then measured to have a very specific outcome in the host, which is you <laughs> in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be what we just talked about. So it, I would say it's more that what qualifies to be a probiotic um, and then what one must do or what's, what a scientist or researcher uh, has to do to then qualify uh, it scientifically as a probiotic. And, and, and that's usually through some sort of human clinical research and other, sometimes other models, depending on what the, out, the, the, the biomarker or the measurable impact is. Um, and so I think that that's kind of how we think about it. So the very, the very simple way to think about that is it's a, it's a strain of bacteria that is alive and has to be administered in a very specific dose and then studied or in, in, clinical research, uh, to have an, a measurable outcome in the host. And you were just sharing a study with me and that came back today. You said that seed has like a hundred percent efficacy, right? That, that's different than qualifying something as a probiotic that has to do with understanding survivability through the various stages of digestion, um, which has a bit more to do with like a technology or a delivery system, um, mm-hmm. and less with a specific outcome. Okay. Interesting. Meaning that that has to do with the survivability and where the microbes are delivered in the GI system. Um, And, and so I think a lot of people know that by like survivability or um, aliveness, which is, I think a heuristic that a lot of people understand about probiotics, but that is not a measurable outcome in the host where like, that's not like a digest, that's not like a benefit, like uh, increased motility uh, of um, or uh, uh, supports like tight junctions for gut barrier active, uh, integrity, for example. Mm-hmm. So yeah, tell us about where you're going to take the brand. Like what can we look forward to? You're doing so much already. I think the way to think about where we're going to take it um, based on what, what I can say today is we really think about all these areas of our, of our health the ecosystems of our body. So like the oral microbiome, the skin microbiome, the vaginal microbiome. Then we think about life stages. So what are the stages in in human life where a microbe could be applied um, to have an impact? A good example would be what I talked about with infant infant health. Like as we, we talked about for particularly an infant that's not able to breastfeed for some reason, for, for any number of reasons, or a microbe that's studied to increase bone density for elderly population. So um, I think that that that's a good example of like um, life stage, and then of course specific conditions. So uh, we recently we recently announced our IND that was granted by the FDA to initiate a trial at Harvard um, with Dr. Anthony Lembo um, to study our current daily symbiotic product in um, in IBS population. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it it actually is it's a very interesting study because we didn't really set out to study IBS or really ulcerative colitis or Crohn's at all. Um, and it was initiated by honestly over a year of 
anecdotal feedback from people who have IBS, UC or Crohn's, and who just said that we, you know, the daily symbiotic was the only thing that ever helped them. Now that's entirely anecdotal and not supported today. This is right. I always tell you I'm the worst salesperson. Yeah. Like absolutely not supported by science today. But it was so robust of in terms of the anecdotal feedback that it it is what initiated us to say, okay, we need to really understand like what's ha- happening here in in science. Um, there's something called like mechanism of action, which is basically like investigating um, why something like like trying to understand exactly what what it's doing and why it's having that impact. Which doesn't always mean that if you if you don't understand the mechanism, it doesn't it's not beneficial. It just part of um, the process. So we initiated that um, that study to not just to see how the daily symbiotic impacted the gut of people with IBS um, or and, and, and other things like quality of life and, and various symptoms, but also to better characterize the understanding of the gut microbiome in patients with IBS. So the, the trial is not just about our product in an IBS population, but it also has an entire um, metagenomics uh, which is, just means that we're going to be tr- trying to deeply understand the correlation uh, between gut microbiome and why someone may have IBS and or the severity of it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I know a lot which of people. Which by the the American population, which is crazy. Exactly. I was just going to say, I know a lot of people that have it. So yeah. that's going to be a really big deal. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and share more about your story too. I I love getting to know you more and what moves you and what drives you to um, keep seed going and and to explore all this. And I'm just really excited to have had the chance to talk with you. So thanks for coming on. I love you. I love the brand. I love everything you guys stand for. And I just really appreciate you. 